I don't think any B2B company today, correct me if I'm wrong, is creating anything unique. Everybody is creating some form of regurgitated content. They're trying to make it better. They're trying to make their product stand out. But at the end of the day, you're not seeing any novel type of content. It's the usual types of pages. You're listening to Content Logistics, a podcast for B2B marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue. In each episode, Camille Trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Content Logistics. I'm your host, Camille Trent, and this episode is brought to you by my good friends at Motion, Tristan and Justin. They're an agency that helps B2B tech marketers launch podcasts just like this one. So if you're wanting to launch a podcast, you need help with the production, or you just underestimated the amount of time that it would take, definitely check them out because they are the best in the business. Today is my guest, Alina Bunny. She's joining us from Nextiva. She's the senior SEO and content lead there. And today we're going to talk through the logistics of revenue generating landing pages. So Alina, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Camille. Yeah, I'm super excited about this one because I think landing pages are fun and something that just doesn't get the attention it deserves. Like it's all about blogs and now it's like all about social media, but landing pages can really move the needle for a business. And so that's why I'm excited to talk about this one. So first I wanted to just jump into your background. So if you could uh, sort of explain to people, uh, you work in companies that produce some of the best marketing and content around like FreshBooks, Sales Hacker, and now Nextiva. So I just wanted uh, to see if you could give our audience a brief background on yourself and then also Nextiva. Sure thing. I've had a very interesting career trajectory in the sense that my career started with brand copywriting and then I moved into product marketing. And those are the first two years right out of college at FreshBooks. And it was really fun because I don't think a lot of beginners in marketing get the opportunity to directly work with a CEO of such a large company. I think we were valued at close to a billion back in 2016. And we were a core team of five people working on the messaging for the flagship product plus all the other different products that were upcoming at that point. And all kinds of fun out-of-home campaigns, website campaigns, things like that. And then I moved into the CRM product that Freshworks rolled out, which is called Fresh Sales. So sadly, we went from corporate copywriting to product marketing and email campaigns that were targeted to customers, looking at customer engagement data, working with product managers day to day. And then I decided that I needed to take a step back and really think about what I'd be known for inside of marketing. And I thought it was too early to dip my toes into product marketing or brand and call that my home. And that was when I started looking out for roles inside of more specific to content marketing, maybe inside of SEO. And I stumbled upon Sales Hacker and that little team. They were about four people when I joined and I was their first content marketing manager, sales media B2B company. Our primary goal was to work with over 100 partners and all the big and small B2B SaaS companies you could think of, we were partnering with them. It was a really cool opportunity because it was such a, it was a two-member marketing team servicing all these different SaaS companies. And I was talking to heads of sales and CEOs and VPs. It was insane. Being 23 years old and you know being at the receiving end of that was just an incredible growth opportunity. I was managing the contributor blog for Sales Hacker and we would publish two to three posts a day. 
And I was the editor, I was the SEO manager, I was the one that was creating all the outlines for the writer. So basically everything that went out, uh, the whole of 2018 on the Sales Hacker blog was with my stamp of approval. Eight months into working at Sales Hacker, we learned that we'd be acquired by uh, Outreach.io. And so I got two cool months of consulting with Outreach, something that just serendipitously happened for me in my career. I didn't anticipate going through an acquire process, had never been part of something like that before in my career, which is really cool because this was announced during the Sales Hacker offsite in New York and we were all there. And Max just said, you know what, guys, we're joining outreach. It, it was insane. And after that, Gaetano, my boss then, still my boss today, he decided to move to Nextiva and I told him, and this is a classic line, if you've heard me on podcasts before, I say this a lot, but I told him I'm not done working with him yet. And we both moved to Nextiva. No interview, no uh, test project or anything. It was a couple of phone calls with our CMO then, and I was employee number two on the demand gen team. Fast forward to three years later, we have one of the coolest content teams, I think, in B2B SaaS. And I'm very proud to have helped build that engine. And like you said, everybody loves talking about blogs and videos and blog production process, but landing page production and landing page production successfully is not something that I hear a lot of people talk about. So excited to dive into this with you today. Yeah. So to recap for folks, I think like some experience that you're going to bring into this, that's going to be key for people is the copywriting side of things, right? Like starting off in copywriting, but then also bringing in the, the product marketing side of things as well, thinking like a product marketer, and then um, also just your specialty in SEO and in sort of like long form content production, like all of those things, I think, play into landing page creation. And that's why it is unique is because it can take on some attributes of long form, but then it can also feel and kind of should feel like copy. Ultimately, you are selling something, right? And then the product itself, like a deep understanding of the product in this sort of piece. So that was one thing I wanted to, to recap. And then also, yeah, I'm just a big fan of your work. So thank you for just bringing all that experience to the table. So at Nextiva, the content team has separate processes for separate content types. So I was just hoping you could walk me through the different content Nextiva produces to kind of set the stage for what we'll talk about. And then what's the purpose of each piece in your marketing strategy? Sure thing. It isn't anything mind-boggling. It's the usual suspects. We've got organic landing pages, PPC pages, blog posts and videos. I think what sets us apart, and this is something I've been talking about, and I think we connected on this too, it's how it's done. It's the execution of it all because I don't think any B2B company today, correct me if I'm wrong, is creating anything unique. Everybody is creating some form of regurgitated content. They're trying to make it better. They're trying to make their product stand out. But at the end of the day, you're not seeing any novel type of content. It's the usual types of pages. And so at Nexiva 2, we focus on creating these four broad categories of content. And what's really cool about the processes that we've built so far that makes producing these different pages or content pieces effective is that there are dedicated people to do it. Whereas it, it was just me in 2018 and today we have different pods that manage four of these groups. So organic landing pages falls under me, PPC landing pages falls under a paid media director, blog posts is under our content manager inside the team and videos is under somebody who manages partnerships as well as content. And what's really good about that kind of a partnership is that 
each one of us knows what works in our lane and we're able to kind of share information that works for our specific type of content. And then once you roll something out, all these four different pods work together in order to help that piece of content successful. As for the purpose of each of these, again, not rocket science, organic landing pages, I would say a good chunk of them are for bottom of the funnel, you know, target keywords that we have that drive actual MQLs into the business. PPC landing pages are, you could say, stripped down, leaner versions of these organic landing pages that are more focused. Blog posts, a whole good mix would be 65 to 70% of it is for awareness type of content. And we'll get into some of that or like, you know, why we spend so much money and time into blog posts for top of the funnel content a little later. And videos is something that we're dipping our toes into. We just recently started doing it in the last six months and we've been seeing some tremendous results from it. Also because it's very difficult for companies to create new types of content if you're so used to only certain channels. And lucky for us inside of VoIP, it's one of the most some of the most boring technical industries out there. I feel like marketers play it safe and we're one of those few companies that are actually creating fun videos about wipe topics. And so, yeah. That's quite a bit of content. And you're so right about there's only so many mediums, right? There's only like so many like types of content you can create, right? And so it really is about the execution. I think this is what people forget is like, what's going to be like the perfect strategy, uh, like the perfect blend of blog and landing page. And that's all important, like the emphasis that you have on each of those things, but it's nothing without the execution, right? Like you'd be better off just doing one thing really well to the point where it works, right? And to do a bunch of different things and have none of them work. And so one thing that stood out to me is the way that you guys' team is set up. Because you've said before that it's not a huge, huge team, right? The content team or the demand team in general. But I think the fact that it's kind of like this flat structure of everyone feels like they have ownership like of a piece of it instead of I think there's kind of like this default of regardless of how big the team is, set it up like an enterprise team, right? So there's like this food chain, right? And you'd like want to set it up like this very like structured org. But if you're a small team, like, and even if you're not a small team, I think like giving everyone ownership of one thing of like, you're in charge of this thing, like, yeah, and and you have ownership of it. And then on top of that, like, being able to share that information like across the department and everybody knows like what they're responsible for, but they're able to pull from the expertise of everyone else. I think that part is really unique as well and something yeah. for kind of people to take note on is it's how the org is structured that can really like determine success as well. If everyone is in charge of everything, it's just a recipe for failure, right? And so, so I wanted to call that out as well because I think that's an important piece that I think we'll dive into a little bit here later too. But Okay, so you mentioned that blog writing is easier to outsource than landing page writing. So we're talking a little bit about your team structure and your org structure. But I remember in our last conversation, this really stood out because I've heard differing opinions on this. So copywriting, I think of more for landing pages, right? And we'll get into this more. And then blog writing, again, more like the SEO, the long form, pretty much all is organic, right? And so why do you think that it is easier to outsource the blog writing than the copywriting? The number one reason to me is because in our context, landing pages are product-led. We don't necessarily create a lot of evergreen 
top of the funnel landing pages where you stumble upon a page about say what is VoIP or you know something that's fundamental and basic and that's the primary reason why it's easy for you to create a blog outline or a brief and then give it to a writer who's not a subject matter expert on something that's product related and tell them to be like you know what just do three days worth of research these are all the different white papers or pdfs or whatever that they can go through and asking them to create a massive say 4000 word guide ironically is easier than asking someone to create a 400 word crisp easy language landing page and it's one of those skills that i feel like is so underrated in our industry because you think hey 300 to 400 words it shouldn't be shouldn't be that difficult you know uh, maybe you can create 10 a week right and i've had so many conversations with early stage founders who go into seo thinking that yeah i mean if our competitors are able to do it we should be able to kind of reverse engineer their process and create 10 different pages in a month just slap on some of that generic design that you're seeing everywhere just decent enough ux and 300 to 400 pages and they, they do this mental math of okay if 4,000 words take you about 15 hours then how many hours is 300 words going to take you but because you're working with such a limited word count and this is just a rudimentary metric okay it, it's not something that we follow at Nextiva as a North Star metric or anything but for 300 words it means to me at least I need to spend more energy thinking about how best I should articulate myself in as little words as possible. But at the same time, if I am given a playground where I can use 4,000 words, I'll go all out. Sometimes I don't even have to think because when you're in one industry, there's only so much new content that you can produce. At, at some point, you're saying the same thing over and over again. VoIP this, VoIP that. Why use VoIP over landlines? Or you know, residential versus business VoIP, things like that. And I'm taking examples from my industry because that's VoIP is all I ever think about these days. But that's exactly why. And for a writer who services especially freelance writers who service multiple different companies at any point in time, say they're working with five or six companies because that's what they do. And you're just one of them. It's so difficult for them to zoom in like that on something so specific about your product and create something world-class for you, which is why I strongly feel that in-house teams are best equipped to create your targeted landing pages for you. Whereas you can hide behind 4,000 words. 300 to 400 words don't really give you a ton of cover. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me because it's how deep do you need to get into the content partly, right? And how you're defining landing page is it tends to be bottom of the funnel, right? Not that you can't do any yeah. top of the funnel landing pages, but it tends to be closer to the conversion and closer to like those very specific like objection questions that people are going to ask of like, okay, I know VoIP, right? And like, I know the other products out there and I need to know if your product does this very specific thing. Like you're going to be closer to those types of customers. And then I think you sort of nailed it on the head by saying VoIP is all I ever think about these days, right? Like the fact that that is true and yeah. the fact that all you're thinking about is VoIP and uh, a lot of the freelancers that are out there are probably not thinking about VoIP every day, all day. Right? <laughs> and so that's kind of the difference, right? Is it can depend on budget and can depend on what freelancers you're working with or out there. But I mean, that's a pretty like specific niche of like freelancer that's specifically focused and has a background <laughs> on VoIP. You're probably not going to find that. And you probably don't need that for the top of funnel content. You'd like someone can understand that and internalize that and explain that more easily than, you know, once you're getting into the product. And so one other thing I'll throw out there for people too, because I think different ways can work is another friend of mine who's a content marketer with blog writing that he'll outsource 
he still wants it to be product led. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times he'll add, if it's a listicle and it's, you know, comparing different tools, he'll write the one about their product. Cause he's like, no yeah. one's going to understand the product and to be able to write it like I can. So you say, so he's like, so I don't even try, like I don't even ask them to do that. Cause I know it's kind of just setting them up for failure. I'm just going to like rewrite it. And so that could be another way to do that is kind of just it really depends on the content yeah. piece. But for instance, if you are comparing tools or if it is like a, even a comparison landing page, that could be one way to go about it is still ask them to write it, but then sort of like know that you need to fill in the blanks or you're just going to have to like add more information about the product as you go. But I really like the way that you go about it because I do think that you need that deeper understanding and it tends to be bottom of the funnel, which kind of leads me into... And I think, I mean, if I may, I'm just adding one more thing to it. Copy is already, especially for a landing page, and I think for most content today, it's already just half the game. You know, when you are creating product pages and product landing pages, there's so much more that goes into it than actual words. You need to think about what CTAs have worked best for you in the past. So you have the information on your A-B tests and how that's performed. Uh, whether or not you ask somebody to sign up for a free trial or for a recorded demo, you have that context you know, as an internal resource. And things like, you know, from talking to sales and support, what are some of the FAQ questions that should be there at the end of the page? Or what's a new video that just came out that your teammate worked on last week that you could insert into this page? It's context like this as well that is outside of just copy, like the written word that you can put on landing pages that I think it's more productive as for a company if that's from an internal resource versus somebody outside. Because what happens when you outsource just the copywriting part of it to somebody else is that you're going to have to bring it all back in. And then it's your job to, again, use take four or five hours to tie it together to say a good story on that page. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. So for copy in general, you tend to have... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you tend to have more data because you have kind of like this like demand gen side of things and you have just other factors like you're talking about with the FAQs that might not make sense for a blog, right? And the CTAs throughout it, like it, it is more sales focused and different formatting options that way and just different asks maybe throughout. And so because of that, there's just like more to pull in, like more data, like to look at, to inform, like how you're going to write the copy and how you're going to structure the landing page. Whereas like the blog, like might be the blog, like it's straightforward, it already has its format. You're not going to necessarily change it too much. And you might not have the data or like paid experiments that you're running to be able to get that data fast to inform it. Right. So that I think is a good call out for people too. Okay, cool. So for landing pages, you typically help convert folks closer to the bottom of the funnel, like we talked about. So do all landing pages follow the same structure? And uh, we got into this a little bit. Or do you create different landing pages for different use cases? Yeah, we do. We definitely have, I would say, pillar pages inside of landing pages as well. The usual navigational type of pages or transactional pages follow a certain structure, whereas the comparison pages would follow a more word count heavy table style sort of approach. And we do have a few educational product landing pages as well, which has more emphasis on, say, product videos and FAQs and things like that. So we definitely have templates that we've seen work and we've been able to rank for high, high CPC keywords. And it, it definitely depends on the search intent as well. We don't go in thinking, okay, you know, this is the target keyword and so we're going to directly map that to a certain type of keyword. The stuff is so volatile these days. You see 
especially in our industry. And I think B2B in general, you've got your aggregators, you've got your roundup hosts, and you've got product pages that have a very high domain authority rank with really poor content. And so it's up to you to kind of decide what your plan of action should be to something like that. And I feel anytime you decide to invest good research and product-led information, that's how you're executing on your page. I feel like, you know, that's your winning formula. And so, yeah, we do have pillar pages and structures that we go after. And like I said, product pages comparison and what depends on the SERP. Okay. So on the landing pages, I'll I'll split it into two and correct me if there's more, but you have kind of the organic landing pages that people are going to find it through keywords, right? So they need to be a high intent keyword based research that informs the content. Uh, And then you have other landing pages that are more for paid, right? And so with the paid, Mm -hmm. do you still use keyword research for that, like search paid for Google paid ads, or do you distribute it through social? Are those the two like main landing pages? And do you go about them the same way? Yeah, separate processes for all of those. And I think there are a few more types within organic, you know, the comparison type pages where we'd say, talk about Nextiva versus X competitor, those pages definitely have a more long form approach to it than our regular product pages. With the PPC pages, there is keyword research, but that's more driven through the keywords campaign within Google Ads. I don't necessarily map them with our organic keyword strategy. Those are two different processes because again, VoIP is so nuanced and I don't know if this applies to other industries as well. As far as I know from my CRM deep dive within Freshworks, it wasn't this nuance. Like VoIP has a billion other names as well. And Google hasn't so figured it out, you know, like Cloud PBX, hosted VoIP, Cloud Phone System, Virtual Phone System, all of these mean the same thing. It's the way that it's executed that is different, how it's implemented. And so that's the reason why you will see so many different versions being put out by all of our competitors. I mean, at the end of the day, Actually speaking, we'd only need one page because it's one product, one white product. But the SERPs are so different because the search intent and what's being served is so different. In terms of processes, of course, these have very different production processes. PPC pages are more based on test results because we get a large number of eyeballs on them. It's easier to iterate faster and there's much less copy on it. We tend to borrow elements from organic landing pages that are doing really well and then kind of place that on our PPC page to try and see how they're doing. Definitely more forms, targeted CTAs on those pages. Whereas with organic pages, I feel like we use it less for experimentation and more to try and see how wide we can cast our net with those pages and see what all we can rank for. And it also fits into our link building strategy, which obviously doesn't apply for our PPC pages. Okay, great. So we talked about keyword research a little bit and how it's different on the organic side than the paid side. You're going to look in Google ad campaigns. Like for those words, you're going to look at probably something like Ahrefs or other keyword tools for the organic side of things, but those things are ultimately separate. And then you also have templates kind of to inform the process, not necessarily like we always use these templates, but just to inform both of those pages. And this is how we're going to go about it. So what elements do you include on those landing pages? And I know it looks different for both of them. So maybe we'll just start with the organic keyword-led landing pages. What elements um, should you include on those types of landing pages? I think the primary goal with organic landing pages for us is more time on page so that, you know, you're getting 
any user to just spend time reading what that page was created for. And if you don't do a good job of it before the first 25% of the page, then they're going to exit the page and then the rest of it doesn't even matter. And so we deliberately use more videos, especially pointed videos. It's not genetic videos. Like say, for example, this is how brand XYZ does something. If, if that page is about say wipe versus landline, then that video would also be about wipe versus landline. And I think that's where the agility of our team comes into play and goes back to having separate lanes for how these different pieces of content are created. We're able to kind of have synergy in what we produce and how we produce them. And so if I have a page in the pipeline that is talking about something, then it's very easy for my coworker to create a video that can match that intent as well. And so, yeah, video is a crucial element that we've been testing over the last six months, and it's been showing some, got improved. I think it might have been like a 300% increase in click-through rates because of videos, just because we've been able to grab rich snippets on. So what that means is that landing page isn't just ranking for that target keyword. We've also got that video panel where Nextiva's videos are showing up because we've embedded those videos on those landing pages as well. And we're using you know, FAQ schema and video schema on those pages again to get more rich features on SERP. Other elements, obviously, everybody has the same tools at their disposal. You've got your ClearScope, Market News, Ahrefs, SEMrush, etc. But I guess what's different is just knowing how to place content, how much social proof is too much social proof. All of that really comes with looking at the same type of content over and over. And I think in my three years at Nextiva, I probably built over 100 landing pages. <laughs> and so for me today, to create that 101st landing page, it's easy because I know what works and what doesn't. And so going back to the elements on organic landing pages, it isn't anything wrong. You know, you've got your different product-led content modules. You've got your FAQ modules. Those are where we usually sprinkle in our internal links that drive traffic to other pages. Another thing I would say there is that we only link internally two pages that are optimized as well we don't want to drive traffic away from a conversion optimized page to a non-conversion optimized page and then somebody is down a rabbit hole and they don't know how to get out of it yeah and i think with ppc pages it's kind of the opposite of all this so very little content or like copy in terms of word count but more pointed information we don't add a ton of videos no internal links because we don't want to drive away any traffic because it's paid traffic that's coming on those pages. And so we're more focused on getting them to click on a CTA on that page. You also won't see a diversity of CTAs on PPC landing pages. We try to keep it to less than two in terms of types of CTAs. We might have three or four CTAs on that page, especially if it's a slightly longer page. But what a person can anticipate to do by clicking on those CTAs, the actions are going to be under two types of actions. Whereas on a landing page, you've got more other types of exits on those pages. You could watch a video, you could watch a recorded demo, you could talk to sales, or you could pop up the live chat on the page. But on a PPC landing page, you probably only be asked to fill out a form to get in touch with sales or directly sign up for a free trial. And with PPC landing page, I think we also experiment more with offers, timely offers, because it's just so much easier to run campaigns that are specific to time and then take them out or put them back in when you're running campaigns like that with organic landing pages, especially when you're a larger team. Demandgen is a small team, but Nextiva is over 1,700 people today. And so working closely with design and dev for each of our pages, it requires a certain amount of planning. And I would say there needs to be planning that goes into figuring out what offers go into different pages. And so we experiment with offers on PPC pages over organic pages.
Yeah, no, so there's a ton of great stuff there. So I'll recap it and you can let me know if I got it, <laughs> if I got it right or not. But it sounds yeah. to me like you guys are very organized and very intentional about what you include on the page, right? You recognize that everyone has the same tools, that everyone knows like, you know, the basic elements to put on a page, but it's more about taking what you've learned, like from those hundred landing pages that you've already created, applying that to the new landing pages you create, like knowing or having a process so that you just don't forget things. Cause it's one thing to say, Hey, these are the elements. Like I know them in my head and having like an actual process to make sure it happens every time and to make sure it happens the same, you know, if you're out of the office or something. And so there's that part of it. And then there's also just like consistency in all of that and execution, as you've said, right? And so some of the elements to back it up was a video was a big one for you guys, right? And that to me spoke to your guys's ability to repurpose content, right? And to have the same content in different mediums. I talked about this the other day, but this is like so important for something that resonates for one person is not going to resonate for someone else. And so having like a video version, like and a written version and, you know, the, the blog version and landing page version, the post version, like one of those things is going to like speak to someone differently, even though it's the same exact content, right? The same message, but it's in a different format. So doing the sort of work at the beginning of just having those assets available for you to create the landing page seems like a very big thing for you guys of just having all those elements that you can pull together in a landing page. So video and then having the intent of the page match the ad, right? If you think you you are promising one thing, right? And then you're delivering it in the headline and in the intro of this is what we're going to learn about today. Like here's the video to, to back it up if you prefer to view it that way. And then you are using data to inform those questions that you're going to ask as well. So like the, the frequently asked questions you talked about knowing what those are in advance based on past landing pages that you've created, based on past content that you've created, just based on talking to customers, right? Listening to calls, all that stuff goes into the actual landing page. And then a couple other elements were mainly around the internal linking, right? And making sure again, that you're very intentional about what links that you include and one thing that stood out to me is that it's not just about internal linking and linking to as many, you know, Nextiva pages as possible, but specifically linking to ones that are going to work for, for your purposes that are optimized, right? That are optimized for conversions and not just like a random top of funnel thing. And so, yeah, being very intentional about those internal links and for landing pages specifically, making sure there are no external links, which may not be the case for blog content, right? So that's my recap of elements to include on a landing page. But yeah, let me know if that sounds right to you or if I missed anything. No, that was perfect. Thank you for that. No, no, it's mostly like for me to make sure that I internalize it as well. But <laughs> but the, yeah, the things that stood out was just, it's not like mind blowing. It's not like we discovered like this new formula, right? It's just executing and being prepared and having like the process that is what primarily sets your team apart and being prepared with those elements to create the best possible landing page. Instead of just being, we need this landing page. Oh, we don't have these elements. You know, let's do it anyway. It's like to get it done. Right. So those are some things that stood out. So we talked about this a little bit, but uh, tell me about the differences between a PPC landing page and organic search landing page. You can recap this because we already talked about it. Yeah, I, I would say just visibly to anybody who's just looking at it for the first time would just have to be page length. PPC pages are shorter, more concise, to, more to, to the point and more conversion focused. And there are no exit parts except 
your primary CTAs on those pages, whereas organic landing pages can be a ton of fun because we tend to get creative, especially with the bottom half of the page, to try and give you other opportunities to learn more about the product. And like you said, very intentional about what we link to. Another tip, and I don't like giving this away, but you know, I'm, I'm feeling generous today but <laughs> we don't link to um, a ton of blog posts if we can help it but we link to other product pages that we think can add value and this is again based on a lot of experimentation and just seeing what's worked for us and what's not and I think one thing to keep in mind is that very few people make it all the way down to the end of the page but then that doesn't mean that page doesn't have SEO value or link equity so that it doesn't mean you shouldn't use the rest of the or like the bottom half of the page to help other pages rank. And so that's exactly what we use it for. It's not just important that, I guess, to summarize, it would be landing pages and organic landing pages are one of the most fun ways to combine user-driven content as well as search-friendly content. And the way you do it is that even though you know a lot of people aren't making it to the end of the page, if your landing page is performing really well. And if it's ranking for a whole bunch of different uh, specific high value target keywords, you should definitely use it as a gateway page for some of those other pages that could use link equity. And so that's one of the other ways we kind of reverse engineer pages or women trying to refresh pages. We look at our top landing pages and see if it makes sense to link from them to these newer pages or say laggard pages. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good tip. So thank you for feeling generous today. <laughs> okay, so what do you think content teams get wrong uh, about these things? Like you mentioned, everyone has these tools, they know about them, they probably know like what elements to even include on a landing page. So what do you think that content marketers get wrong? And why do you think that is? I can think of three main things. And these are all conversations. I spoke with somebody the other day, and it's funny. And they said, we had this whole conversation about how SEO works, or what my philosophy on content SEO is. And I said, you know, XYZ are the different ways I think you should approach. And I said, Oh, yeah, we don't have any problem with content creation. That's not where we need help. We need help with SEO. And I said, well, SEO and content creation is one and the same thing today. You can't do SEO first and then create content later or create content first and then do SEO later. And it's surprising to me that even in 2021, people struggle with the idea that these different teams, your product team, which is who are your subject matter experts, your design and development team, who's going to help you with post-production performance and your content SEO team need to work together to produce a winning page or a winning piece of content. To a lot of people, they think that they can eliminate a few of these teams and just be like, yeah, we are producing blog content. We have, say, 50 different product landing pages or we have product documentation. But it's not enough that these things exist in silos. You really need to get them to talk to each other. I'm not saying Nexiva is perfect at doing this, but we definitely try. And so if I could school something to content marketers, it would be Talk to your product marketing teams, figure out what they're working on in terms of feature launches or product launches. Ask them how you can support them from an SEO perspective before the launch day and not after when they come to you with the full you know, content and they're like, okay, can you add in the metadata for us? Because SEO is not metadata. SEO is so much more than that. It's about search intent. And you as a content SEO person, you've got so much more context than they do uh, about how people search, why people search for something, what that search value is worth, and what you can do to your website. Take all that information and then, you know, 
club that with what your product marketing team is giving you. It seems like such a no-brainer, but so few teams do it. And so that'd be number one. And number two would be just content marketers sleeping at the wheel. You know, people talk about refreshes all the time, but when was the last time you refreshed your top three or four product landing pages? Have you gone back and looked at heat maps? You know, like I said, are you working with others, say your video team or your design team to update the designs there or to add a new video in there? Are you working with your marketing engineers to see or compare what, you know, the CSS of some other competitors looking like? You know, does it make sense to add an FAQ schema in here? Should we add a video schema in here? Should we take out something entirely? Are you looking at product accuracy? Like You might have said something a year ago, does that still apply to your product? You know, are there other ways that you've updated the product? Are there other ways they can sign up or get access to your product? And so we, as a content marketing team, I feel like one of the key reasons that we were able to grab a lot of organic traffic in the last three years is because we've been able to be fast and be preempt a lot of these changes that have come with every, I would say, just Google update and just Instead of worrying what it's done to our pages, we look at the whole essence of it. Like with the medic update, it was so clear. It's not just about adding, say, an author name to every post, or it's not just about adding a last updated page. It ultimately comes down to having high quality content. And so as a process, we decided that for product content, you would just rely more on internal resources than have to outsource a chunk of that. And so just internal decisions like that, I feel like if content teams are able to make based off of external cues, your you know Google updates, things like that, it's just going to be so much easier for you. And the final thing, what I think content marketers get wrong <laughs> is thinking about everything at scale. And when I was thinking of examples to articulate this, it's when I just thought about the SaaS business model too. Why is it that you only offer free trials to your lower tiers? But then with your enterprise plans, the CTSS get in touch with sales. That's because enterprise sales is specific to the customer. You're creating, say, a specific dashboard. We call it personalization. And so the same thing applies to content as well. If you want to create high quality content, you cannot create it at scale. You have to add that personalization to it. And what personalization means for a 2021 SERP is that it needs to be high quality, it needs to be from a subject matter expert, it needs to be updated, and it needs to have new ways of research that you've used to back up that piece. So that I thought was a good example to kind of show why at scale is kind of digging your own grave, you know, because at scale only gives you low value customers. Like, you know, in SaaS, they call it the longer tail, where you're banking on getting 1,000 customers who are going to pay you $10 a month, whereas the enterprise customer is going to pay you, say, $2,000 a month. So what would you optimize for? Obviously, you want the higher value customers. And in this case, that means you want to rank for the higher value keywords. You want to rank for multiple keywords with the same page or piece of content. That just means you invest more in that one piece of content instead of spreading yourself thin and creating low quality pages in large volumes. Nice, nice. Okay. So it's funny because <laughs> that last question like actually addressed like my what was going to be a follow-up question of if Content and SEO are kind of one and the same, at least in like search marketing. How do you make sure that the content you create is high quality? And then your last point kind of addressed that, right? As you make sure that you're dealing with subject matter experts and that, you know, internally you have that product marketer, at least product focused content marketer that's able to inform the piece, elevate the piece, like make it conversion focused. So there's a lot of elements, but like planning out from the SEO perspective, like what needs to go into it, what types of words 
that we're going after. So it's very focused when it's handed off to the content creator and then they create content and you are dealing with subject matter experts slash quality content producers. And so they do a good job. And then as the person that oversees everything and make sure that it is properly optimized, right, for SEO. And so I think doing it that way and not getting so caught up in the formula, giving people like enough space to create good content seems to be the best where you have those those kind of like three steps, just how you guys do them. So yeah, so kind of piggybacking off the same question, like how are you guys able to outrank competitors? Because everyone else is getting these things wrong, right? So how are you guys able to get them right? I mean, it was a slow road to glory, that's for sure. Um, Three years ago, when we were starting out with our organic SEO engine, we weren't able to rank for things overnight. It, It definitely took us a few months to start seeing results. But fast forward to today, if we publish a page, and this happened last week too, and it's still makes me giggle a little bit but if i publish something on friday there's a very good chance it's going to be ranking uh, on page one by monday and that is because we've been able to show ourselves as an authority on voice over ip on search over and over again incrementally we've gotten better at producing content i'm not saying that from day one we've been able to nail our process when it comes to content production but with refreshes in mind with monitoring performance for pieces creating our content DK dashboards and looking at what's been accruing backlinks versus what's been kind of at a standstill. We've been able to progressively make content better. And what that means is that we always have the best content that we can put out there. And that's the slowest yet one of the most steadfast ways you can rank on SERP. And also just realizing that you need to take your content away just from Google and you need to start looking at YouTube as a channel or, you know, thinking about just diversifying how you're putting out your content. A lot of people talk about repurposing content, but how many people actually have dedicated teams working on it? And so that's something that we actually put, you know, we walked the walk six months ago, you know, when I said we started dedicating resources to video, we actually have somebody on the team who's accountable for video content and they don't need to reinvent the wheel because we have all the guides under the sun about VoIP already. All they need to do is pick out what the commonly asked questions are and put that into video format in the most you know, succinct way possible. And so that I think is just realizing that high quality content takes time. And it's not that, you know, just going back to one point you mentioned earlier, it's not that the subject matter experts that we've identified internally have an inclination to create content. Sometimes it means that we need to chase them with questions, we interview them, or, you know, we get them to review a piece of content we've written and ask them to make tweaks to it. However it is, it always helps that there is somebody who comes from a technical background on that topic and is able to give you the best information, which is the most updated at that point. Because if you are looking to synthesize whatever is on SERP and create the best version of that, it's still going to be just a slightly better version of what's out there instead of something that's more accurate and updated. And and that's been our winning strategy. (laughs) Yeah, essentially, you guys have proved yourself to Google, right? You're like, we are the authority on, on VoIP. And part of the way that you've done that is you've had different types of landing pages and different types of strategies like that are very intentional for the user's intent. And then you've coupled that with like an excellent blog strategy and an excellent 
YouTube strategy. And the SERP has gotten more complicated in terms of like what shows up on it, where it's, you know, suggested videos and also featured snippets. And so knowing that's the case and being able to optimize for those different mediums and those different results are partly like how you've shown that authority, I imagine, because they're like, wait a second, Nextiva is like all over the place here, like in a good way of they're like the number one for for YouTube, they're the number one for search. And so Google kind of knows all those things and it's able to connect the dots of like Nextiva probably knows quite a bit about VoIP, it seems like, and rewards that, right? And I I love using this example because, you know, it's something that I'm going through right now. But when you work out, one of the upsides that you don't necessarily focus on is just that you have more energy throughout the day and you're able to focus better. And so just like that, when you create high quality content, organic backlinks are just a nice upside that you don't even have to chase. And so whenever somebody asks me like, what is our link building strategy, I say it's not as strenuous as it used to be because our content already ranks. We've proven time and again that it is high quality content. And since we've been investing more in visual content, which is videos and images that are original, it's just been easier to get backlinks. And so, yeah, just another thing to point out why we're able to win over our competitors. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like you've earned it, like Google believes you at this point and real human people like believe you as well, right? (laughs) Like they're like, I just trust like that the site knows what they're talking about. I've gotten good information from them in the past. So I'm going to pay it forward and keep suggesting them, right? Or keep using them as as a backlink in my own content, right? And so, so yeah, that all makes sense to me. So we've talked quite a bit about the strategy and just how do you think about you know creating a landing page? When do you create a landing page? What type of landing page we talked about? And then the creation of it, what elements to include and how to get the execution right. And then you've talked a little bit about tools, right? Everyone kind of has like the same tools, but it's still important that you use them and to optimize and not just, again, like not just stick with with a formula or just stick with a template, but learn as you go. And so I wanted to dive a little bit into that. I think you talked about heat mapping. So if there's a specific heat map tool or other tools that you guys use to optimize, I'd love to hear about those. Sure. I mean, it's all the you know, the staples within any content tech stack, Ahrefs, SEMrush, Hotjar, Google Optimize, Tag Manager, GA, GSC, things like that. But another point I, I want to stress here, which is on the content operations side, I feel like people just don't invest enough <laughs> over there. We live inside of Asana. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why there is so much visibility into what's happening at any point in time. You don't need to talk to anybody directly. If you want to see what Nextiva's demand gen team is up to, or even our design and development team, all you need to do is just take a look at each of our individual boards and what tasks have been assigned to us or what we're working on. And in the same vein, you know, Figma, Adobe XD, Volley, you know, the entire Google workspace suite, that is the engine we use to manage everything and hold everything together as a unit. We've got strict I wouldn't say strict, but like we've got streamlined processes for design and dev handoff, what all information they need before we request for a page to go live. We talk about, you know, we have weekly calls with design and devs talk about sprints and what we can anticipate from them in the next week, what needs to be delayed or roadblock, things like that. Our QA process is pretty interesting because we've got dedicated people looking at tech SEO. I look at the content SEO side of things. We've got a design QA in the process as well. So what's fun about an engine like this is that 
even though I work in content SEO and most content marketers only limit themselves to just the content production part of things, I've gotten better at, you know, landing page QA. I know how to talk to design and devs better than I did three years ago. And, you know, that's just a nice upside of having uh, a well-oiled machine here. So some of the other tools, like I said, on the content ops side would be these. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So organization and communication (laughs) are pretty much the keys like to optimization, right? Like the better you can communicate and the better visibility everyone has to just what's going on and how to probably pull the elements that they need. Like, I think I remember Titano, yeah, mentioning that you guys have a spreadsheet of some sort, or could be more more sophisticated than that, but a way to basically sort the different case studies that you have by the problems that they solve, right? And so something like that is, it sounds simple, and it's easy to kind of like gloss over. But it's like, if you have that for all of your content, you have sort of like a database, a way to organize just the existing content you have, then you're better able to optimize it because you know that it's there and you know that it needs to be optimized, right? And you have like the elements that you need to pull into these landing pages and to make them as successful as possible. I think that can be like where content teams like get hung up is because it's just, where do we start? Like if you're starting from zero, it feels like very overwhelming, but most of the time you're not starting from zero. You have this different content. You have people that have you know, been guests like on podcasts or have like written guest blogs or have, you know, written a blog two years ago and stuff that you can repurpose. And so just knowing that you have that can be very comforting, but then it can also lead to, lead to results, right? More importantly. So I think that's a really important lesson for me. Like I literally wrote this down, like organized to optimize kind of a thing, I think is a really interesting thought. So there's that. Okay, so what does a win look like for Nextiva? And what are some wins that you guys have had in the past? Yeah, sure thing. I mean, a win would be uh, primarily, I guess, what we're judged by our, our performance, what that looks like for us is obviously marketing qualified leads and how many of those leads convert into actual sales. But zooming out a little bit, we love ranking for things. We love all the rich features that we can get on SERPs. And so we've been really excited about some of these video snippets that we've been getting and just seeing results on multiple rankings for the same SERP, which has been really interesting. We've got SERPs where our blogs, as well as landing pages rank. Sometimes we've had double rankings with landing pages as well. And so just wins like that, I mean, were they intentional most of the time? But sometimes, you know, it's just because the SERPs is so convoluted uh, in our industry. Uh, I think even Google gets confused sometimes. But I think, I don't know if I can call out a specific win, but just results from our video production efforts have been pretty amazing to see from the sidelines. I'm not actively in the trenches with our video production process, but because we have a bird's eye view into our entire content production process at any point in time because of Asana and how organized we are, it was very easy to plug in those new videos into different assets and then measure their performance. And so that I think would be the highlight from, you know, from last quarter, just seeing the improved click-through rates and improved traffic because we embedded those videos, because we, you know, worked on adding that video schema into specific blog posts and landing pages that I think was a very cool win. Quite low effort on the promotion side, but high effort on the production side. And which is always satisfying because, uh, you know, a lot of the times, you don't spend any money or time into promotion and then you don't get any results and you 
feel really bad about how much money you invested to create that content. And I think another just kind of zoomed out win would be just even figuring out a process that's worked so well and just having an eye for what's been working and what's not been working and just kind of regularly pruning that process. We've been through so many different writers and have, I think we've done a very decent job of incentivizing as well as just being empathetic towards our pool of freelance writers as well as in-house writers. I think Gaetano, you know, my boss, has done a really good job of making sure that we show value to those people that's helping us produce these results across the board, in-house or freelance or agency, doesn't matter. And so that I think is another cool win because everybody works with freelance writers, but then, you know, I don't know a lot of companies that have worked with the same writers for three years. And so just getting to that process and building that trust, sharing results with them whenever we see good results is also just kind of creating that feedback loop. Another cool win, which again is on the content op side, would be just learning how we figured out how to learn with, I mean, how to communicate with design and dev. That process was very ad hoc in the beginning. We would just call for meetings and just describe what we wanted, throw a few different docs at them and say, how soon can we get this out? But then today we almost have zero meetings. These check-in meetings that I said are mostly passive, but you know, it's just that we're all on the same page, but our actual work gets done through Asana or through these different boards that we share. And so there are stages on those boards that say, okay, you know, backlog or in progress or roadblocked, et cetera. And so just figuring out how to communicate with these different teams have been a really good win as well. Yeah, and I guess finally just seeing ranking time get a lot shorter. And so I can guarantee you pretty confidently that 95% of our blogs rank for their intended target keyword, which is so cool. And it's also one of the reasons why I can't just specifically call out one instance it's because we've meticulously figured out that process and we only go after keywords that we really are confident about ranking. And so, yeah. Nice. Well, that, those are plenty of wins and like plenty <laughs> to be proud of. And so I think if people weren't already convinced that focusing on landing pages, focusing on keywords that you can actually win and that are actually in your sweet spot of these are the types of customers that are going to come to us. Like these are high intent people. And this is, you know, the type of value and the type of product that we provide, like finding that intersection and really living and owning that space. Like having the motivation to do that, I think is cool. But then seeing the wins that you can achieve is also pretty cool. And now people you should have a, a pretty specific formula or roadmap on, on how to get there. And so thank you so much for kind of walking us through that process. I think my last question is just uh, what advice would you give to marketers who not only want to build a landing page, but just do it at scale? My first advice would definitely be to stop thinking about it at scale. I'm not saying that aren't pages that are low effort and you need to, you know, for example, error code pages would be one of those examples in my industry, but you know, or glossary pages would be something that applies to everybody, integration pages. For those type of pages where you have a few hundreds of the same type, of course, you don't need to get super you know, picky about what each one of them look like. You just need to create a few different templates and then, you know, run with that. But I would say if you are focused on producing high quality content that are and pages that are going to help you rank, not just for one specific keyword, but like a huge bucket of keywords, you need to stop thinking about it from the at scale perspective. In my experience, and I could be wrong, it just hasn't worked. Anytime we've tried to build more than 10 pages, it's the process is broken. 
the QA process, the design process, and the quality has taken a backseat. And that's not something I'm comfortable doing as a content marketer because I, I like to be fully accountable for something that goes out when I'm in charge. And when you produce things at scale, that's just not something that you can do practically looking through each one, like every sentence of every page that you push out. And so I would say, unless there's just no other way, stop thinking about it at scale. And one other thing would be just to acknowledge that content production costs are the highest it's ever been. And I don't see it going down and high quality equals high cost as well, whether that's hiring the best freelance writers or even just hiring the best in-house, you know, content SEO person, it is going to cost you. And so I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you're paying somebody $400 per blog post, that's not going to give you what you're looking for in the long run. It is going to cost you, you know, in the four figures and uh, a good content SEO person is going to cost you a lot more than they did three years ago or four years ago, because it is such a nuanced skill today what they bring to the table is so much more than just writing words it's balancing all these different pieces together and so that would be my other word of advice is that acknowledge that content marketing good content marketing is expensive and get the buying you need to get otherwise get out of the team yeah i think that's great advice i love it okay well yeah i'm just gonna sort of briefly wrap this up. We talked about a lot. So just to start, you need to determine kind of what type of content you need to create, right? It might not even be uh, a landing page. And so determine, you know, if you need to start with more top of funnel, just awareness type content in the blog or in a video, get those kind of assets down. And then if you do need a landing page, determining what type of landing page and how you're going to distribute it ahead of time, right? If it's going to be through paid, if it's going to be through organic so that you're able to properly create that content and optimize it for the channel. So there's that part of it, the, the strategy and obviously keyword research, whether or not that is based on Google ads or another tool for organic search, but doing all that research and planning ahead of time. And then if where you guys are at currently have like a specific process to make it scalable, but don't worry about making it scalable until you've figured out how to make it good, right? Until you've figured out what works and not until then do you try to scale it. So there's that side of it. And then there is the actual content creation side of it, which you touched on just now of hire good writers and think about it as a partnership and not just like a vendor, right? If you want them to stick around and to be able to get the best out of them and to make it you know, mutually beneficial so that they are a partner and they do stick with you, then you need to be providing value to them as well. And giving them clear guidelines of this is the topic, this is what good looks like, you know, these are the elements that need to be included, having it be be very organized and good communication internally and then externally for external partners. And then, you know, having the tools in place that you are able to optimize it. And again, it goes back to the organization, communication, and then the tools in place where you're able to track, you know, heat mapping, Google Search Console, Google Analytics, like just be able to keep a pulse on those things so that you can optimize it and have maybe a calendar or something in place, like where you know to go back to to content and making sure that it's still ranking or that it's still effective so that you're able to scale that process. Like once uh, you get through all of these with you know, a a few blog posts and you're seeing those rankings and you're seeing those conversions, not until you've sort of nailed that process and really defined what good looks like to your audience of, okay, this is working. These people are converting. Is this other way that we're doing it? It's not working. We need to bring in some of these elements there. Like that's when you're able to create a process or to create something scalable is once you've 
figured it out what good looks like, as I tend to say. So that's my recap. There's a lot of just great things. I think in this episode, if you got very like specific on what things to include and like gave away a few secrets. So I appreciate that. (laughs) So yeah, so my last thing is just where should people go? Because I think they're completely bought into Nextiva and your guys' content strategy. So where can they go to learn more? About Nextiva, our website is obviously the best place to be at. Our blogs are an amazing place to be at if you want to learn more about VoIP. With me, Twitter, LinkedIn, feel free to get in touch if you have any questions about anything we spoke about on this podcast. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, uh, Alina, for joining me. It's always awesome to talk to you and to just like see how your brain works. It's fascinating (laughs) to me. So I will be listening to this episode again, trying to glean everything from it. And I hope we can talk again soon. Thank you for having me, Camille. Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.